If you open your Bibles to John chapter 15, that's where we'll be today. In John's gospel, it's, it's Jesus' kind of last days. Uh, he's getting nearer and nearer to the, the time of his glory where he will be glorified, where God's plan for salvation will be revealed to the whole world. In John, these last few chapters are, are an extended discourse of Jesus. Jesus surrounds himself with friends, with those who is closest to him. And, and as he sees, like, he, he's kind of on death row, like, like the, the clock is ticking down. He sees it coming. And so Jesus surrounds himself with his closest. And he, he just, uh, in John, it's, it's kind of discourse after discourse after discourse. It's kind of like famous last words. It's kind of like Jesus is, is trying to get everything out before his death on the cross, before this event that's coming. And so Jesus is not going to leave anything unsaid. And in this section of John, it's really interesting um, kind of as he gets near the end of his life, like we think this happens sometime uh, around the Last Supper. Potentially, Jesus is giving this these words about the vine and the branches while he's still in the upper room. He talks about his own death. Uh, he's going to talk about the advocate, the coming of the Holy Spirit right after this. Right before this, he talks about how the end is near, and he offers warnings to his disciples about, hey, the world is, is really going to hate you because of me. And yet sandwiched right here in, in chapter 15, right in the middle of 17 verses. In 17 verses, uh, Jesus does a, a great thing that a rabbi would do. Jesus paints a word picture. Did you see it on the, did you see it? Did you follow it? Like he doesn't just teach, he, with, with his words, he paints this incredible image. Uh, using words of love and friendship, he paints a picture of true discipleship. He paints a picture of what life following him will be like. He paints a picture of a flowering, fruitful, flourishing garden. He paints a picture of a vineyard. Go ahead, Merwin. Uh, we provided, uh, uh, in light of today's teaching, we provided grapes on each of our communion tables. And yes, we want you, they're not pla the plastic kind. You can eat them. Like, it's Okay. I want your thoughts to turn towards the vine, turn towards the vineyard. How many of you have ever been to a vineyard before? You got any Arrington fans out here? Praise the Lord. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I know who you are. Um, across many cultures, the, the symbol of the vine, the grapevine, has, has represented success and vitality. The, the picture of the grapevine is, is a source of, it, it's a picture of a source of the, everything that is good. It, it's the source of life. And it's adorned potter, uh, pottery and artwork and coins for generation. Uh, in the Old Testament, the grapevine represented God's covenant people. The grapevine represents Israel, uh, a people planted and tended by God. Look what it says in Psalm 80. Uh, in Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11, it says, You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. 
it's this incredible picture of a grapevine. And when Jesus started talking about the vine, every Jew would have immediately thought he's talking about Israel. He's talking about God's chosen people. Uh, I'll show another image to you. Uh, I, I know this is super poor quality and it has the watermarks and all of this stuff on it. Uh, but this is just a replica of the entrance of the holy place in Herod's temple. Uh, and what you see next uh, on the columns and across that kind of crossbar up there at the top is a golden grapevine. Do you see it? I know it's kind of small. I know it's not the best picture. So this is really fascinating. At the entrance of the holy place, above the curtain and below the roof line, there was this gigantic grapevine of pure gold, and it represented Israel. When, it, when, when a Jew looked at that grapevine, it was like looking at their family tree. Are you with me? Um, and wealthy citizens, you could bring gifts to add to the vine. So you could bring gold, gold or, or you, you could bring your offering and they had metalsmiths, goldsmiths that could fashion your offering into a leaf or a branch or into grapes so that this grapevine on the temple was constantly growing. Are you with me? Like a pretty fascinating stuff. Even Josephus, uh, uh, the historian, claimed that some of the grape cluster, so like the entrance of the temple, this is probably like 40 feet high, right? And Josephus, who was there and saw the temple, he claimed that some of the golden clusters of grapes were the height of a man. So Jews could come and they could add to this, and it was, it was such an important part of their identity. The grapevine was such an important part of the Jewish identity. Some, okay, so sometime today you see Christians wearing what around their neck? A cross, yeah, or an ichthus if you're really holy. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, definitely put one on your car. That makes all the difference. Um, but for Jews, uh, they definitely would not have worn a cross or an ichthus but what they might wear around their neck or around their wrist would be a branch from the grapevine. It was a way of wearing your team's jersey. It was a way of identifying who you are. To, to, because Jews, they knew that they were God's chosen people. They were the vine that spread from coast to coast, right? Like, like this was an important identifier and God planted Israel to share with the world the kind of life and vitality that is only possible through God. Okay, so are you with me? Israel recognized the grapevine as them. It, mean, it meant them. But there's a problem. Because, and you can, you can look this up, literally in every instance in the Old Testament where God speaks to Israel as the vine he is always condemning them. Here's what he says, uh, just a sample in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Here's what it says. But I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt, wild vine? You see, instead of the vine that God really desired Israel, the vine became corrupt and fruitless. 
Now imagine, knowing a little bit more of the context, what Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 1, when Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now that's a pretty big statement, don't you say? Like it's pretty, I think it's fascinating that, that like, um, Jesus could have been in, we don't know where he was when he said this, but he could have been in the temple in front of the holy place, standing underneath the golden vine that represented God's covenant people. And he could have said, you see all of this? I am the true vine. Can you imagine why the Jews might want to kill him? In one of his famous I am statements, he invokes the very name of God to tell the people that this thing that you've put your trust in, this thing that you've fastened yourself to, this thing that has all the appearance of life and fruitfulness and vitality is really dead. And if you want to know where real life comes from, if you want to really flourish, then I invite you to connect again to the true vine. This holds true today. All other attempts at success and vitality and goodness without being connected to the true vine are ultimately doomed. All other attempts at a fruitful, flourishing life fall short when not connected to Jesus. And Jesus talks about this vine. He talks about himself as the vine. Sometimes he's the gardener, sometimes he's the vine. It gets a little bit confusing, but, but I want you to hold on to this idea of the vine. And, and really I want to talk about two aspects of Jesus as our vine and what it means to have Jesus as the true vine. The first aspect I want to talk about is intimacy, and the second aspect is fruitfulness. Um. First, let's look at some verses together. In uh, Merlin, I don't remember how many of these I put up there, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and just show up. Okay, here, here's what it says. Jesus' own words. In relation to the vine and the branch, Jesus says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. Uh, the word remain in, in is in Greek. It's the word meno. Say meno. Not meno. Meno. Are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you may know in me, and my words may know in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Uh, you saw uh, Kim read the, or the worship team read the verse a, a little bit earlier, a few verses down. Jesus uses this word may know to talk about his relationship with the Father. I may know in, in the Father, and the Father may knows in me, and he says, that's what I want for you too. Jesus will say, may know 
This word meno is one of Jesus' favorite, favorite words. He, he, you see it, like he repeats it again and again and again and again. And, and I want to talk about this word because it, it's really important. Uh, remain, uh, or meno means maybe like remain in, and that's one translation. Maybe you're say abide in, Does, maybe you're reading from different. Sometimes it means to stay in. But, but meno really goes much deeper than that. Like most words, like, like the levels of meaning are, are, are pretty prolific. And I want to talk about three levels of meaning for meno, okay? So we're going to talk about three meno levels. And, th- and the first one is a kid's game that, that maybe you all played together. Uh, it's called Red Rover. I, I think I have a picture. Any of you guys remember this game? Uh, like... At our, at our, like, safety police world. I'm sure, like, kids are not allowed to play Red Rover, Red Rover. I don't even know what that means. Like, is that, like, a devil's camp or something? I don't know. Like, what, like, like that brings out the, like, somebody says Red Rover, Red Rover to you. Like, all of a sudden, like, it is on, right? Like, so this game is you form lines and you hold hands, but you don't just hold hands. I mean, you lock in. And somebody comes running full speed to try to break through your line, which is like, who created, uh, you know a boy created this game, like, let's just be honest. Like, because it's like a violent game. Have you ever seen, like, the kid runs, and they don't break, and they get up ended, they end up on their head? Like, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. But, like, Red Rover is, is, is something you should think about when you think about the word Mano. Maybe it's the first aspect of Mano. It's those, it's those hands locked together, Right? Like, like how, are, how are you holding hands in Red Rover, Red Rover? Like, you just kind of casually, you just fingers, you know, like pinky promise, you know, like, no, or are you like locked in? So when Jesus says may know, that's what he means. He means locked in, not departing, not leaving, to continue to be, to last, to endure. Think about it in terms of a storm or a difficulty or a challenge. means Red Rover, but Mano also means homecoming. What's it feel like to come home after a long trip or a long journey? You have that, like, the deep breath that goes out, like, ah. Uh, there's special news today. I don't know if they're in here right now, but uh, Merwin's wife and son, Shushmita and Liam, are here today with us all the way from India. Like, can we celebrate that they're here today? I don't know if they, did she take them out? Oh, man. Okay, well, he was making noise, and which I think he's just singing. Like, it's fine with me. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Oh, man, give them big hugs today. And, and what I feel, even seeing, like, Shushmita and Liam today is like, ah, and I know Merwin does too, like, ah, they're home. Um, maybe you've seen the videos of, uh, uh, I think, go ahead and show that next picture seen the videos of the soldiers homecoming man like this like you cry every time right like the kids come in and they're surprised the kid at at at, at a performance or something the kid runs into the father's arms so like mano means red rover like oh but mano also means this 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 homecoming mano means like home base in chapter 14, Jesus is going to say, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, 
and we will come and make our home with each of them. He says, we're going to come and Mano, we're going we're to live together. And so Mano is just like locked in against whatever's coming, but it's also, Mano means a place of safety and security. It's a place of retreat and rest. A Mano is the place you belong. Are you with me? It's a way of saying, even, even Mano is a way of saying that blood is thicker than water. Mano is a way of saying, you are family. And finally, the third aspect of Mano, and, and, and maybe my, my, my favorite aspect. You can go ahead and show that picture. All right, so here I need some uh, audience participation. Do we have any married couples here today? Any married couples? All right. Um, how many of you are really brave married couples? None. Awesome. Uh, here's what I want you to do. If you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to kiss your spouse. If you, we kiss in church. It's okay. Jesus watching. It's, it's okay. I want you, if you're brave enough, I want you to kiss your spouse until I say stop. All right? And I'm just going to count. I'm just going to, why is this? Oh, some are already starting. All right. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count. I'm going to start counting. All right, on your mark, get set, go. One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, four, 1,000, five, 1,000, six, 1,000. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Great job. For some of you, this is the best sermon that you've ever heard in your life. Um, I, I did this teaching before. In fact, we did a whole series on, on Mano and abiding in and dwelling in God and what this means. And we did this before. True story. Um, when, when I did this teaching nine months later, we had a new baby in our nursery. Like, this, this is a real thing. Um, one of my favorite commentators talked about Mano as, you know, it's, it's Red Rover. It's, oh, it's locked in. And Mano also means that, that homecoming, the place you belong. But Mano is also this incredibly intimate word. It's, it's not a peck on the cheek from your spouse or your girlfriend. Mano is a six-second kiss. Right? Um. A six-second kiss says something, doesn't it? Like, it, it says something that a peck on the cheek doesn't say. Uh, a six-second kiss says something about the quality and status of the relationship. And yes, I give you full permission to practice at home. A six-second kiss is incredibly personal. It's, it's not easy to fake a kiss for six seconds, right? Like you've all seen on television when they do those kisses, and you already go, oh, that's not real, or that was no good, or you know what I'm saying? Like you, everybody kind of knows. And that's what Mano is too. Not, uh, it, it's something that's really personal and intimate and deep. It's not likely to be, you're not likely, well, let me ask, like, maybe you're not, like, how likely are you to have a six-second kiss with somebody you don't know? Like, yeah, you would, you would never share a six-second kiss with a stranger, unless there's a lot of money on the line or something. I don't know. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus to Mano 
in him, to remain in his word, to remain faithful to his teaching. It, it's like, um, man, I, I don't want to be too critical here, but like my, my brother-in-law recently, like he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my one-year Bible. I'm doing my study. I'm, I'm caught up to everything and what are, where I need to be reading and all of this kind of stuff. And, and, and that's, if you're doing the one-year Bible, I think that's great. Man, I encourage you to dig deep in that word. But man, don't let it just be a peck on the cheek, Right? Like, that's the thing that happens, I think, sometimes, like, uh, uh, Mano is deeper than just uh, a Bible study or owning a one-year Bible. Mano is, is a, a word of intimate union. Uh, I love the picture of, of a wedding day and, and the wedding kiss. Like, that's a great image of Mano, Right? It's, it's a perfect symbol, almost like uh, Mano's expression of faithfulness, but it, it's like putting a wedding ring on. It, it means an enduring relationship. You know, and it brings up some really important questions for us is like, what is, what's your relationship with Jesus look like? Does it look more like a six-second kiss or a peck on the cheek? Do you really know Jesus, and, and what kind of relationship are you having with him? With What kind of relationship do you have with his word? Is it a six-second kiss, or have you settled for something less? So all of these ideas of Mano, one of Jesus' favorite words, repeated again and again and again. It's, it's, he begs and invites and encourages us to lock hands with him, to find our home in him, to engage in an intimate way with him. And the result of all of that intimacy, mutual indwelling with him, the result is fruitfulness. Right? That's what he says. Look at, his, look at the words. Look at scripture itself. In verse 4, the, the second half of verse 4, he says, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you may know in me. Anyone who does not may know in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. And like there's some danger here. There's, I think there's like some warning red flags on this. Like this thing that God wants to do through you, you cannot do it on your own. I still meet people all the time like, yeah, I'm just doing my own faith thing. I'm just doing my, and I think, no. Like you can't do this on our own. When, when we attempt to do it all ourselves, when we fail to live lives connected to Jesus, then we fail to reach our potential and purpose. We become rubbish pile people. And, and I hate to say it, but you, you kind of know what I mean, don't you? Like when we become disconnected from the vine, we, we actually become no use to anyone. But if you look carefully, look at, look at verse 5 again. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And those who may know in me and I in them will produce much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, what's going to happen? You will produce much fruit. I, I think a fruitful, flourishing life is not a test of discipleship. I think it's the result. I think it's the result. People look at our lives and are able to distinguish by our fruit, fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. I probably forgot one in there and going to hear about it later from our kids. Um, but like, like, that's a result. It's, he's not testing us. You know, well, I'm going to try really hard to be gentle. I'm going to try. No, like all of these things come as a byproduct of being connected, being tied in to the true vine. And, and if you read a little bit further, even in verse 7, he says, when you remain in me, you may ask for anything you want, and it'll be granted. That's a pretty big promise. That's a pretty big promise. Okay, anything. Like Ferrari. I feel pretty tied in. I haven't seen it for, no, no. I, I, think, I think it changes the things we want when we remain in him, right? Like when we remain in him, like, like he becomes the source of our, of our life and he changes our values. We remain in him, like, like we can ask for the things that we want and the things that we want will be things that honor him and glorify him, not just ourselves. And I think that, but there's a powerful promise in there and, and, and a promise for our church too. You know, I still feel like, man, Aspen Grove is still a small church, but I'm so excited about what God's doing in this place. Like when we as a church remain connected to him, anything is possible. I hope you feel that. I hope you feel that. And it's not because of some strength that we possess. It's because we're connected to the one who is strength. Amen.
invite you this morning to give yourself to Jesus. Maybe you're ready to make a commitment to him through baptism. Uh, That's why we have this thing over here. We actually have everything you need, towels and changes of clothes. And if you're ready to tie in, to give yourself to him completely in baptism, man, we welcome that and we pray for that and we honor that. We think that's such a powerful and good thing. We want everyone to receive the life that comes through him. I think when you connect to the vine, you, you actually enter into the kind of life you've always wanted. Jesus says, in me I offer you something that is flowering and fruitful, a flourishing life. Not only is it possible, but through Jesus, he offers it to you today. You don't have to wait. He offers it freely, and he offers himself to you now. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its challenge. God, I pray that we would experience this kind of full, full, full vine, grape hanging in big cluster kind of life that that you desire. I think that's a life you've called us to and created us to live. And Father God, everything in our world promises that kind of life, but only a deep connection to you and to your son, the true vine. Only through that connection can we enter into a real, true flourishing life. And so, Father God, maybe there are things in us that need to be trimmed away, that need to be pruned and cut back. God, maybe we just need to, to, to cut it off at the ground and start over. Father God, give us the courage to do those things because we want more life, not less. We want more of what you have to offer, not less. And so, God, help us to be courageous as uh, we prune away things that distract us from you and help us to cling to you, the source of true life. And Father God, we pray for the fruit. God, we're, we're praying for a harvest in this church, but, but in each family, God, we're, we're praying for a harvest of, of righteousness. We're praying for, for the fruits of the Spirit to come to full life. God, let us experience the sweetness and goodness that comes from a life that it is flourishing and fruitful. God, move in us now in this time as we enter into this space of communion, as we tie ourselves again to the true vine, your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Father, and in your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy time of communion together.